0: Warning, the following show is not for all ages. We might have the odd dirty word in it. We also talk about people who beat other people's faces in. If you're shorter than this line, you are too small to be on this ride. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say or do can and will be held against you in a court of law. The following program is rated R times infinity, which is a lot. If you're under the age of 18, you might need to get your mom to sit with you while you listen to our show. Hmm. How embarrassing would that be? Now, it's time for MMA Sucker Radio on MMASucker.com.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we are live for MMA
0: Sucker
2: Radio.
3: Sucker Radio, as the people in the know like to call it. Sucker Radio. Yeah. yeah. Without yeah. the MMA, it's shorter.
4: It's people pretty much know that we're going to be talking about MMA in some sort or another.
3: Consider our podcast is on the MMA website. I think people connect the dots, absolutely.
4: You'd hope so, at
3: least. Uh, speaking of someone who connected the dot. Yeah. Uh, Chris Weidman connected the dot to Anderson Silva's clowning face. Which is pretty crazy,
4: I think. Upset. Yeah, people are saying that it's the biggest upset in MMA, like bigger than Matt Sarah, George St. Pierre, just really? because of the length of the the time that Anderson Silva's been undefeated in the UFC. I mean, he's never lost a fight in the UFC until now. So Matt Sarah was coming in a huge, huge underdog, like the biggest underdog ever kind of thing, and uh, Anderson Silva is like, you know, big time. So.
3: Wow, that's really deep analysis by Jeremy Brand. Um, but you know what though that said, he, although he was an underdog. Yep. <laughs> although he was an underdog, he there was a lot of people who were taking Chris Weidman. Hell, and when you were talking people. to people, they're like, "Alright, oh, we're gonna take Chris Weidman.
4: Yeah, like even Dana White said Chris Weidman is going to be uh tough Should, to beat. Shouldn't be overlooked, which is I think what Anderson Silva
3: did. But we're going to talk all about that uh with Damon Martin. He's going to be on the show. Uh, I believe he's going to be coming up uh, first, and then uh, you did an interview. What's next on the show
4: today? It's a long one, from what I understand. It's a very long show today, because you know we're not going to be here next week. A uh, bit of a summer vacation week. For so it's a MMA, bonus show. For MMA Soccer Radio, so this one we figured we'd go long. And yeah. uh, another long shot, we could call it, I guess, is uh, UFC 165 John Jones is going to be taking on our next guest, uh, Alexander Gustafson yeah so you did an interview with him, yep he had a media tour in Toronto, and
3: uh and there you were interviewing him from my house and yep. uh yeah he uh he actually came to your house that is pretty amazing you know knocked in your door and go hello is jeremy there
4: that's i'm here pretty... I'm here for the interview. It's a pretty good accent for a russian Um that. kind of Swedish, I guess so you know the Swedes are crazy, they don't. They're they, crazy. Yeah, they don't have much... You know, their accents aren't as thick as as the other Europeans out there. That's uh, true. You know, like hockey players, the Canucks. Like the Sedin twins don't even have accents Or like anymore. on Detroit Red Wings, Nicholas Lidstrom. You ever hear him talk? Yeah, he sounds like he's an American.
3: Yeah, he has no real accent. But anyway. <laughs> Enough <yeah>.
4: about that. <laughs> but
3: uh, that's great. Uh, Alexander Gustafsson came to your house and uh, you guys had a chat. And, uh, we also, hey, we've had, like, Academy Award winners on the show before. People don't believe us, but they actually do come on our show. Yeah. And this time around, he's not an Academy Award winner, but he's another movie guy. He's a director, actor, writer, producer of a new movie called Monday Nights at 7, M-N-A-7. And he's got, like, Anderson Silva is going to be in his film, um...
4: Edward you know, James almost, yeah.
3: Edward James almost from uh, Gal- Battlestar Galactica and Selena. And Selena, <laughs> See, that's the film that you, for for the amount of films that he has done <laughs> and quality films, you know. At least I choose like a good you know TV show, Battlestar Galactica. It's a very good show if you've never watched it. If you're into sci-fi, but you go out and of all the movies you could have picked, you're picking Selena. Yeah, man. Okay. Anyway, we're going to have... We could go on about that, but no, I'll just say, yeah, man. <laughs> we're going to have Marty Sater, who's from Monday nights at 7, and he's going to come on our show, talk about the film that he wants to do. Um, like I said, Anderson Silva's in it, and uh, he's going to tell us sort of, um, you know, first off, a little bit about the film. The guy's crazy. You've got to listen to the interview. He's nuts in what he's doing. Uh, let's just say that he's adding some realism into a film. And so anyway, they're raising money on Kickstarter. And so listen to what he has to say and, and if you feel the need to
4: donate, donate because it's uh it's a pretty cool project. That it is. What what else is gonna be neat is this show because as we said it's gonna be long. We need to get started. Okay, let's get going. <laughs>
3: writes for Bleacher Report, as well as another little website started that he calls uh, Nerdcore Movement. Make sure you check it out. We had him on the show many times before, so welcome back, Mr. Damon Martin. Big D, what's shaking? How's everything, guys?
0: Appreciate you having me back.
3: No worries, man. Well, first off, before we even talk uh, fights, just explain to people uh, the Nerdcore Movement. It's a website that you started that I actually contribute to as well, and uh, just let people who are listening know a little bit about that sort of project that you've, uh, you've uh, done so far a great job on.
0: Yeah, well, uh, first off, let me say thanks for contributing. We uh, definitely appreciate you uh, you being part of the team. Yeah, the nerdcore movement. It's funny. I, I just kind of started a joke about a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, that you know, I was the uh, the leader of the nerdcore movement. Kind of made it as a joke. You know, somebody in the fight industry that was also a giant nerd. And so, uh, as time went on, I kind of you know felt the passion of doing things outside of mixed martial arts. Actually, writing about comic books and TV and movies, things I have uh, a lot of interest in. I. We're in for a couple other websites, suicidegirls.com and nerdmachine.com and a couple others, and just decided that, uh, you know, instead of working for somebody else, why well, don't work for myself? So I decided to uh, put some uh, startup together and get a get a site together and kind of put my thing together, and now we have launched uh, nerdcoremovement.com and uh, doing a lot of coverage over there, you know, a couple, three pieces going up every day, and uh, I'll be doing ex- some extensive coverage next week at San Diego Comic-Con, which I'll
3: be out there all week, so...
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun project and uh, kind of a nice little side uh, passion project besides the MMA stuff I do on a full time basis.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And do you ever? I mean, it's kind of nice to be writing about other things other than you know obviously the sport you love. But it's it's nice to kind of put your brain in another kind of passion, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. And honestly, I
0: think I'm a better writer because of it. I feel like you know I'm actually writing more now than I was before. But the fact that I'm kind of stretching my legs a little bit and. Writing a little bit, you know, outside of just mixed martial arts, actually made me has made me feel like I'm a better mixed martial arts writer because of it. So, uh, in mm. all reality, I think this is actually beneficial to my writing career as a whole. Uh, you know, getting my brain away from fighting, kind of focusing on some other things, and then going back to fighting. So it's kind of a good, uh, you know, kind of good yin and yang to my everyday writing stuff.
3: Well, let's talk about let's talk a little MMA actually because um, I think a lot of people like myself have kind of digested everything that's happened, uh, what happened at UFC 162 last uh, Saturday. Um, Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman went down. Obviously, uh, we have a loss for Anderson Silva, and a lot of people are calling it a big upset. Um, just give us your sort of response, first off, uh, to the fight.
0: Well, you know, listen, the, the fight, you know, the first round unfolded pretty much how I expected it to go. I figured Chris would get a you know, pretty quick takedown uh, you know, he would work for the ground. Uh, one thing I actually said, you know, very early on was that he would go for submissions. He would give up position to go for submissions, which is something that, you know, a guy like Chell Sonnen didn't do. And I said, you know, it could actually come back to bite Chris a little bit because going for submissions when you don't get them can sometimes leave you in a vulnerable position.
4: Yeah. And, it, and it very
0: well could. When he went for that early uh, knee bar and then went for a heel hook, uh, you know. Going for a leg for for those that don't do a lot of submission, uh, you know, grappling or do a lot of jujitsu, you know, in a in mixed martial arts fight, those leave you very exposed you're basically using both arms to grab a hold of the leg and you have nothing to protect yourself. And so if you don't get it, it can leave you in a very vulnerable position. Uh, and I said that actually could backfire on Chris because I knew he would be aggressive on the ground. He did. It got back to the feet and I thought, okay, well, let's see, you know, what happens here. And I think Anderson, uh, you know, I think at that point when Anderson, you know, got up and realized that he 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 was on the ground with Chris and he could survive with Chris on the ground, and maybe he got a little cocky and thought, okay, let me toy with this kid because you know maybe uh, you know he's not as good as he's been made out to be, and uh, you know he toyed with him, toyed with him, and just kept doing it. And then at that point, you kind of get the feeling of why why is he still doing it? And uh, and he got caught and clipped and knocked out for it. So uh, Chris Weidman, you know, is the first guy in history to have that happen to him in an Anderson Silva fight. And not lose. I mean, he's the guy who went out there and, you know, kind of allowed Anderson to do the whole clowning routine and, and do the whole, you know, bobbing and weaving and basically say, begging to hit him. And, and Chris got right in his face and hit him. So it was a, it was almost like a perfect storm of things to happen for, for the fight to go down the way it did.
4: The and We've seen Anderson do that in the past, the clowning, the toying, and all that stuff. Do you think that his game plan coming into this fight was to not do that? And then the takedown happened, and he was like, forget this. I'm, I'm going to go back to that to see if I can draw him into me.
0: No, I think that was the game plan all along. You know, I actually said in my pre-fight article, and I fully admit, I picked Anderson Silva to win because I just thought Chris wasn't quite, quite there yet. I thought Chris Wyman's a guy that would be a champion a year from now, maybe a year and a half from now. I just didn't see him doing it that early. And I said Anderson would probably clown him. If you look back at Anderson Silva's career, you look at the times when he clowns guys, it's usually when he, he kind of feels like he has a technical, you know, a tactical advantage and can really you know, beat up a guy. You know, I, I think he knew going into the Stefan Bonner fight that Stefan had nothing to offer him. There was no way Stefan was going to win that fight unless it was just a haymaker out of nowhere. I did it against Damian Maia because on the feet, once he knew Damian couldn't take him down, Damian Maia had no chance in that fight, standing or otherwise. Uh, you know, unless it went to the ground, Anderson was in no danger. Uh, so usually that's when he does it. When he looks like he has a legitimate threat in front of him or he looks like he has a guy that maybe he has a little bit of a personal beef with, he goes out there and really annihilates him. He did it to Vitor Belfort. He did it to in the second time. He did it to Yushin Okami because Okami technically had a win over him. So I think, you know, my honest opinion was is that he, he thought he would blow through Chris Leibn he'd be able to go out there and do his normal routine, and kind of play with him a little bit, he, he thought he would treat him like he did Damian Raya and, and a couple other guys, and it backfired.
3: Is it just because he's not interested, maybe like he's bored that he does it, he wants to add some spice to it? I mean, why would you, I mean, I, I guess it just, it doesn't make sense to me why you would, you know, clown your opponent like that, knowing full well that it's mixed martial arts and, you know, anything can happen. Um, you know, does, is he just not interested in the fight?
0: I mean, maybe that's part of it. I think part of it also is because, you know, when he's done this in the past, gotten away with it and won, you know, we celebrate him in the media. You know, I went back, I was doing research uh, for a piece I was doing on Anderson after the fight. I went back and looked at the articles people wrote about him for the Stefan Bonner fight, myself included. We talked about how he toyed with Stefan Bonner like he was a child. You know, he was, you know, he was basically patting him on the head and saying, you know, inviting him to him. And we, we celebrated this. We're like, oh, my gosh, this guy can do some amazing things. We never said the words disrespectful or, or disgraceful or things like this to describe Anderson Silva because it worked. This time it didn't. So we're now vilifying the guy, and I don't really agree with that. Uh, he went out there and was doing the same thing he did in those other fights, where he felt like he was oh, he overmatched his opponent, and it backfired. Like I said, he didn't do those kind of things against Okami. He didn't do those kind of things against Belfort. Uh Did he? Did he do a couple, you know, kind of bob and weaves against Belfort and back out of it? Yeah, but you know when he when he hit Belfort with the kick, it wasn't like he was going over there to help him up like he did against Forrest Griffin. Why did he do it against Forrest Griffin? Because he knew Forrest couldn't catch him. He knew Forrest had zero shot in that fight. And so he went out there, and when he clipped him a couple of times and knocked him down, he literally went over and tried to help him up off the mat. And we all just sat there in awe, being like, oh my god, I cannot believe this guy is this good, that he will help his opponent up off the mat. The one time it didn't work, we kind of vilified him for yeah. it. So I don't think he was bored, I just think he underestimated Chris Weidman.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my take, too, is that I think he thought that this was going to be, a, a, he was going to walk through it. I mean, you can't blame him because you know everything is surrounding Chris Weidman. Yeah, Chris Widman's a dangerous fighter, but you know, he was off for, you know, over a year, and, and, uh, you know, I think at some point, you know, when you're at the top of the mountain for a while, you, you you tend to overlook some guys once in a while, and, um, you know, it's tough. Um, what happens now, in your mind, if you were looking at your crystal ball, do you see a rematch happening? Because, you know, Anderson was pretty coy about that. Uh, Dana White's saying he wants it at UFC 168. Um, Jeremy here thinks it's going to happen. What do you think, Damon? You, you, you see a rematch down the road?
0: Yeah, I do. I think the rematch will happen. You know, it's, uh, in a weird way, and I know the storyline's different. We want to make something Hollywood out of every story, you know. Every 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 fighter that comes up that's an underdog, we want to call him Rocky and say it's that kind of story. But, you know, in reality, this does feel a little bit like the whole Rocky Three storyline, where the champion got a little too comfortable, and you know he was beating guys he's supposed to beat. I mean, listen, I love Chelsea. Sonnen. I'm a big, big Chelsea Sonnen fan. But going into that first fight with Chell's record the way it was at twenty five and eleven or whatever, and you look at the guys that had beaten him, and you look at the way he had been dominated in a lot of fights, was anyone really giving Chell that much of a shot against Anderson the first time? Uh, even in the second time, as much as he dominated Anderson, most people thought that you know Chell was probably going to lose in the rematch as well. Um, you know, it's kind of like he went out there and he kind of got complacent beating guys he was supposed to beat, and there really hasn't been. You know, the, you know the, the guys that really pushed him and challenged him, except you know maybe going back to the Vitor fight and that got a little personal for him. Uh, I think for him, you know, now he you know he's going to go back and watch this tape. He's going to hear people like John Jones saying, you know, it was disrespectful and the war gods punished him and you know got people calling him disgraceful to the sport and all these different things. It's going to he's going to start reading these headlines and it's going to start you know tucking away in his head and it's going to start serving as bulletin board material. And I'd give him a couple months, and then we're going to start hearing that fire come back a little bit. Maybe, you know, the one prediction I would make about this, though, is, you know, we may see Anderson Silva come back, face Chris Wyman in February for the Super Bowl card in New Jersey. He knocks out Chris Wyman. Hypothetically, uh, you know, I could absolutely see Anderson retiring after that fight. I could see him coming back for one more shot, winning the belt back, and then dropping the belt in the cage and walking away.
4: The problem we see with people, you know, John Jones saying he abused his gift, um, all these people saying Anderson was clowning around and toying with him. We've seen him do it in the past, and it worked. This time, Chris Weidman makes, him, makes a statement out of him and knocks him out, and now everyone's you know, showing disgrace towards Anderson Silva. If Anderson Silva had done it and knocked out Chris Weidman, they'd be praising him for what he's done.
0: Absolutely, and I actually said that uh, on my radio show yesterday, and I put a tweet out about it as well. I said, how are you going to celebrate a guy one minute and vilify him for doing the exact same thing the next? Um, Listen, I actually said on Saturday night, I said, you know, my first tweet after the fight was, you know, Anderson Silva's clowning finally caught up to him, and, and somebody made him pay for it, and that's the truth. But that doesn't mean that what he was doing was disgraceful or disrespectful. It just means that, The way he won fights and the way he was able to toy and clown with guys finally backfired. Listen, it's no different, ironically enough, than the guy who was trying to box. Roy Jones Jr. for years did that. Go back and watch Roy Jones Jr. during his heyday when he was the number one fighter in all of boxing. And he was sitting there with his hands down, his right hand at his side, and he would just come out of nowhere and clock people. And and he was celebrated. People thought, oh, my God, this guy is so good that he could literally leave his jaw wagging in front of an opponent His hand, his right hand down below his hip, and he could come from out of nowhere and knock somebody out. I mean, go back and watch, you know, Roy Jones Jr. in his heyday. He did the exact same thing, and he was applauding it, but it eventually caught up to him. You know, Antonio Tarver and some other guys thought wise to it. Roy slowed down a bit, and and guys started beating him. Maybe this was just Anderson's time to to finally get caught. Maybe that that one-inch... Of speed that he lost, you know, being 38 as opposed to 37 a year ago or whatever. Maybe that one inch difference is where Weidman caught him with that left hand.
3: Speaking of Roy Jones, uh, there was some, a little bit of talk about a possible boxing match: Roy Jones Jr. and Anderson Silva. That is, you, you think that's still going down? You think, uh, and, and why is Dana White is, is that, is that going to be a boxing match that the UFC is going to do, or well, do, you, do you know much about it?
0: Uh, you know, listen, this is, you know, the boxing match was not going to happen. It was never going to happen. Uh, you know, it's good promotion. It's good to talk about. It's good for us to theorize about. But Dana's not going to get into the boxing promoting business. If anything, he was maybe going to, you know, try to convince 44-year-old Roy Jones, you know, on a hefty payday to come into an MMA fight, knowing full well Anderson Silva would probably stand with him as opposed to try to take him to the ground the way Randy Couture did that uh, James Tony, but no, this was, that was never real. It was never no. going to be real. Uh, yeah. You know, Dana's not a boxing promoter, and listen, he doesn't want to blur that line to where he steps into boxing from MMA. It's just not something I would imagine he'd want to get interested in,
1: yeah.
0: uh, nor was it ever going to be reality. But it's something to talk about. Listen, I did an article on it last week and got tons of hits. Why? Because people are curious.
3: Yeah, Frankie. Uh, well, before we get to Frankie though, Vitor Belfort is yelling actually for a chance at uh, Chris Weidman. Do you think he's uh, deserving as uh, as well?
0: You know, I mean, you know, it's listen. You know, Vitor is uh, is an interesting case. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. Does he does does he deserve a shot based on his middleweight record? Yeah, I mean, he's four now since losing to Anderson Silva in middleweight. take out the John Jones fight, which again was short notice, and he stepped up a weight class for that. You look at his last fights, besides that, four wins, four finishes, uh, you know, three of them in the first round. One was in the second round to Michael Bisping, knocks him out. But, you know, the the, the the facts are the facts when it comes to Vitor Belfort, he lost Anderson Silva pretty emphatically. And I said, go back and listen to any of the interviews I did or, or articles I wrote in the past three years since that fight happened. I said, it's going to take an awful lot for Vitor to get a rematch with Anderson because you just never felt like Anderson was interested and at that stage in his career, he did have the power to say, I don't really want to face this guy. And it's pretty clear by what Dana White said is he didn't really have a lot of interest in making the rematch. And now, with Wyman as the champ, okay, Vitor's back in the conversation, absolutely. But then we have to re-enter the talk about the whole TRT thing, you know, being licensed in America for that, you know, going through a commission like uh, Nevada, who, you know, Keith Kaiser has personally told me he doesn't see Vitor getting licensed for a TRT exemption in Nevada, you got California not allowing any TRT exemptions right now. Uh, you've just eliminated two of the major commissions in America, at least for now, where Vitor Belfort couldn't even fight. And if you put the fight in Brazil and you make Chris Widman go to Brazil hypothetically, uh, <laughs> you know, you're just inviting. You're inviting scrutiny. Beyond words, you're inviting scrutiny that, you know, you're basically saying that, you know, this guy will only fight in Brazil, even though Dana has said numerous times that that's not the case. So uh, Vitor's in a sticky situation. Listen, I'm you know, i not going to sit here and vilify the guy and say that you know everything he's done is because of TRT. I'm not a fan of TRT. I think it should be banned from our sport. If you're 38 years old and your testosterone is low, it's probably because you're 38 years old. It's part of growing older. That's just all there is to it. You don't get... Uh, a fountain of youth card at 38. <laughs> Derek Jeter doesn't have one in baseball. Vitor Belfort doesn't get one in MMA. Uh, but the facts are the facts. He is he, he is out there beating guys. But until he's you know until they're willing to put him in Nevada, and 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 set him up for a fight where he has to go through the scrutiny of the TRT and actually get approved or get denied and not be able to use it, I'm just not comfortable with him being in a title fight right now.
3: Just a few other tidbits from coming out of UFC 162. Frankie Edgar got a much uh, needed win when he defeated Charles Oliveira. Uh, who do you think is next for Edgar? Um, you know, there's a guy also on the card, Cub Swanson, who looked pretty good. I mean, do you put those two in a fight?
0: Yeah, I think those are the two. You know, I had a chance to talk to Frankie Edgar's coach, Mark Henry, yesterday, and I'm going to be interviewing Frankie uh, this week as well. Uh, you know, you kind of got the sense from them they were actually supposed to fight Cub Swanson back in April at the Ultimate Fighter finale when the injury happened and uh, knocked out the main event of Demetrius Johnson and John Morocco. they approached Frankie and Cub Swanson to take that fight. But Cub was uh, a little heavy and was dealing with a bit of a lingering injury, and he couldn't take the fight. And they had gone back and forth a little bit on Twitter, and I know Cub's complaint at the time was Frankie was coming off some losses. So, you know, now there's not that complaint there. Frankie's coming off a win, Cub's coming off wins. Frankie is still the bigger name. Uh, So, you know, there's a reason why, you know, Frankie was the co-main event and Cub was the first fight of the night. So, uh, you know, now it seems like that fight would make a lot of sense. And, you know, the facts are facts. I love Cub Swanson. I think he's come a long way since that loss to Jose Aldo years ago. But the fact is, A, he does have a loss to Jose Aldo, and he also has a loss to Ricardo Lamas, which was his last loss, and it wasn't that long ago. And Ricardo is on a, you know, pretty incredible streak right now. Um, You know, the problem is Jose Aldo, you know, unfortunately, he's a bit injury-prone. You know, he's had to sit out some pretty long stretches with injuries, you know, time putting him out of the sport. If he goes out there and beats the Korean Zombie, which I predict he will do pretty dominantly, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, you can't bet on him just sitting there waiting and Ricardo Lamas hasn't been promised a title shot. What I think is more likely to happen is, uh, you know, Frankie Edgar gets matched up with Cub Swanson. Ricardo Lamas gets the winner of Chad Mendez, Clay Guida. And then the best guy, you know whoever is the, the, the best guy out of those you know, particular fights will get the next title shot uh, you know probably in the early part of 2014.
3: another guy in the car, Tim Kennedy, uh, he looked very good in his UFC uh, debut. This is a guy that um, you know the UFC could really get behind because of his military background. Do you see him maybe on the next uh, fight for the troops card? I, I'm pretty sure that that's where the UFC would love to put him on.
0: You know, I, I don't know that uh, I, I don't know that, uh, that that Tim Kennedy would agree with your assessment that he had a really good performance. Uh, no, first, you don't think
3: oh, so? I uh, actually thought it was no, pretty decent. I mean,
0: he, you know, he 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 beat. I I thought he beat Hodger Gracie. I did, but I don't think any. I, you know, I just you know there was you know there were some moments, but it definitely was not the most exciting fight in the world. No. Uh, you know, I think, I, and, and Tim even said it after the fight. You know, he he called the UFC jitters, and it definitely was not his best performance. Uh, but he still went out there and did his job, and I agree. That's a tough thing to do in your first fight, especially against a guy like Hodger Gracie, who is mm-hmm. very, very good in, in one particular aspect of the game. Uh, that said, yes, I agree. You know, he's already started rallying for it. It makes perfect sense. It's November. It's fight for the troops. I mean, you got to put Tim Kennedy on that card, if you can, you put Brian Stan on that card. Uh, you stack it up with the veterans. Uh, they deserve it. You know, listen, Tim and Brian, especially, they're the most you know famous guys. You know, but there's been a bunch of guys that have served. And have military experience to fight in the UFC, but those two guys, especially at the top of the card, how you cannot put them in fights? You know, a they're military, b they're both you know pretty popular UFC guys. Mm-hmm. If they say I want to be on this card, you got to put them on that card.
3: I think the most impressive performance is uh, Mark Munoz. Um, the guy seemed like a new man. He's probably the most probably the most aggressive I've ever seen him. Uh, with a performance like that, does that previous performance against Weidman go as sort of like a mulligan in your mind?
0: Well, you know, I, I wouldn't go as far as Sam Mulligan in, in terms of you know top five performances because you know Mark Mark looked unbelievable, and I talked to Mark before the fight. Mark, you know, I mean, he listen. Mark's not a guy sitting there making excuses, but I think if you know Mark Munoz and you've watched Mark Munoz, you know that the Mark Munoz we saw against Chris Weidman last year was not the normal Mark Munoz. He no. looked slow. He looked he looked just he looked he looked off. And, and then after the fight. You know, he didn't really say a lot, but when I talked to him before this fight with Tim Boach, you know, he, he said, you know, he had a broken foot, his elbow was all messed up, his weight cut went horrible, but he didn't want to pull out of a fight. He had just pulled out of a fight in January against Chelsea and he didn't want to do it again. And so he took the fight, and, you know, probably should not have. You know, most fighters would have pulled out of that, and, and he still fought, and yes, he lost, and it was a pretty one-sided fight. Um the, the why I say it's not quite a mulligan is this. You know, Tim Boach is a guy who was, you know, on the cusp of being top five when he lost to Costa Philippou. Mark Munoz is a guy who's been on the cusp of being on the top five a couple of times, but you know, each time he's been there, he's kind of stumbled. He had the loss to Chris Wildman, he had the loss to Yushin O'Kami. So what I say by this is is for Mark Munoz to really jump into that conversation of being a little chip threat at middle late, he's gotta be one of those top guys. He's gotta be to Vitor Belfort, he's gotta be to Michael Bisping. Uh, he's got to be one of those guys that consistently sits near the top, and and, and you know and is involved in the main event co main event fights. He just hasn't done that yet. Yes, he beat Damian Maya. That was a great win for him. He beat Chris Lieben. I don't know how good of a win that is now, but at the time it was good. Chris was coming off that win over Vandale Silva. So uh, my point being is, until he beats one of those established top five guys, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't race the car past the finish line on Mark Munoz just yet. But I am a Mark Munoz fan, and I am a Mark Munoz believer. I believe he can get there. and maybe that loss against Wagner was the best thing for him.
3: Absolutely, and you just mentioned Chris Lieben. And before we let you go here, I want to ask you, I was going to ask you anybody else that stand out on the card for you, but Chris Lieben for me uh, stood out just because he just didn't look good. I, I almost want to say that he's done.
0: Listen, I like Chris Lieben. You know, I I remember a couple years ago, I did an interview with him and Nate Corey together, and I'm sure you guys have either talked to or had some interactions with Nate over the years. I had them on the phone together, and it was a half-hour conversation, and they were just telling me old stories from the Team Quest days up in Oregon. And, I mean, I was in in tears. These two together, it was like, you know, a comedy routine, telling me stories about Randy and Matt Linden and stuff, and, I mean, they just had great rapport, and Chris is a great guy. He's a really funny guy, very honest guy. Uh, but facts are facts. And Chris is not evolving. You know, he's not a guy that is getting better. Uh, and, and the other guys around him are, and he's just not the same, you know, he's just not the guy that's going to go out there and really be a top guy anymore. And listen, you know, you're talking about a guy who's been around since ultimate fighter one. You're talking about a guy who's probably, you know, he's pulling down a, you know, a decent payday. He's not pulling down, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars, but he's pulling down, you know, a decent pay on the undercard. Um, I don't ever like to advocate guys getting cut. I hate to say those words because, you know, who am I to say a guy should get cut or a guy should retire, those kind of statements. But, you know, Chris really has to reevaluate at this point. And, you know, you got to imagine with all the, the problems he's had over the last few years and substance abuse, and listen, I'm sympathetic to that. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is a fight business. And if he's not going out there and winning fights or at least looking good in the fights so that he's losing, um, you know something's got to be done. That's two in a row for him. Derek Brunson beat him, and let's you know again Derek Brunson got ripped apart for that performance. Let's be honest, Derek Brunson took that fight on like eight days' notice. Yeah, and Derek Brunson cuts a lot of weight to get to 185. Yes, he, yes, he went out there and took him down in the early part of the first round. It didn't do much else. But Chris Leben had a full camp and couldn't do anything against the guy on eight days' notice. Andrew Craig, a very serviceable guy. I don't think Andrew Craig's going to be a top-ten guy anytime soon, and Levan just could not pull the trigger in that fight. So, you know, I, I got to start looking at one more chance. That's maybe all he gets. You know, maybe that's all he gets. And, you know, he's not getting knocked out. You know, it's kind of one of those weird situations. He's not getting knocked out. He's not getting, you know, put down on the canvas where you're like, God, you just hate to see this guy go through that, like we did with Chuck Liddell and some of those guys, you know, where the guy's getting knocked out horribly. It's not going down with Chris, but... The performances are
3: just not getting better. No, and he just takes punishment after punishment. And you got to be thinking at the point, uh, you know, fighters' health and safety at some point it's got to come in here. And even Dana White said, uh, um, you know, he, he doesn't want to cut Chris Lieben. But, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he thinks the way Chris Lieben fights is, is detrimental to his health.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, You gotta when you look at these guys, listen, we don't know. You know MMA is such a, a young sport, you know. I mean, listen, we're basically 20 years into really evolved mixed martial arts. I mean, I mean, in terms of, you know, the UFC being around, in terms of really evolved mixed martial arts, we're way less than that. I mean, not until the guys like Frank Shamrock came along did we really see, you know, evolved mixed martial arts, guys who are strikers, wrestlers, and jiu-jitsu guys. So, you know, where you have to know all passes of the game, so we're really young into this, so we don't know what the typical shelf life of a fighter is going to be. I mean, we know in the NFL it's like three years. The average NFL pro plays three years and they're done. Whether it's the league gets better, they get worse, or they get injured, that's just the shelf life you have in a sport like football, which is a pretty, you know, pretty you know damaging to your body. I don't think MMA is as damaging to your body as the NFL is, but the point being, you know, when you start taking this punishment and you're not matching up with the young guys coming in. You're not able to go out there and compete with them on that level anymore. Then you know, you know. Listen, I like Chris Lee as much as this guy, but listen, nostalgia can only take you so far. And there's a reason why Stefan Bonner's retired. There's a reason why Forrest Griffin is retired. Uh, you know, there's a reason why Kenny Florian is retired. Uh, you know, whether it's body or heart or soul or just the combination of three catching up with you. You know, three pretty famous guys from that season have all retired. And those are guys who you know really made their way into the UFC in 2005. That's eight years ago. So, you know, maybe the shelf life on Chris Levin is, is just about up.
3: Before we let you go here, I just realized Victa FC6 is coming up. Cyborg versus Kunin, too. Uh, who do you got in that uh, main event fight?
0: Well, I tell you, you know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Marius Kunin. I interviewed her the other day. She's is, she is a really awesome person. But I have a hard time picking against Chris Cyborg. Listen, I know Chris... You really got destroyed in the press with the whole steroids thing. And listen, I'm not forgiving her for that, but I still really believe Chris Cyborg is the best women's fighter in the planet. Nothing against Ronda Rousey. I still believe Chris Cyborg holds that title. Yes, you know she cheated. Yes, she got busted. Yes, she got suspended. But I don't think ultimately uh, it's going to take away the fact that she's a pretty damn good fighter and a pretty dangerous fighter. So I, I like Chris Cyborg to come out on top this weekend. But I expect it to be a very good event. You know, Marloes is as tough as nails. She's a great ground fighter, but in my opinion, Chris Cyborg is still the number one for pound-foot-pound fighter in the women's division. And uh, until somebody beats her, you know, it's hard it's hard for me to pick against her.
3: <laughs> All right, man. Hey, plug away. Just let people know where they can find you in the social media universe and uh, you know, hawk your hawk your product.
0: <laughs> well, follow me on Twitter at Damon Martin, and I'm on Twitter uh, pretty constantly, so pretty easy to grab over there. Uh, make sure to check me out on BleacherReport.com, also UFC.com. And, of course, uh, NerdCoreMovement.com, that is the new website if you're a fan of movies, TV, comic books, or video games. Uh, Trevor has been uh, awesome enough to be featured on our website as well, so check us out there. Or follow on Twitter at nerdcoremov. And uh, as always, guys, I appreciate you having me.
3: No worries, Damon. Thanks for talking fights with us and uh, all the best. And uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you very soon. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Sweet tunes you pick. That was Damon Martin, by the way. It was your pick this week, so Sweet Tunes by you. I'll give you credit. I always like having Damon on the show. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, we're moving on to our next guest because this is a jam-packed show. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's Alex Gustafson. It's dark and hell is hot. Ain't no sunshine when it's on.
2: No home,
4: joining me on the line right now, he is one half of the light heavyweight matchup that is going down at UFC 165 against John Jones. He is Alexander Gustafson. Alex, thanks for joining me today, man. Thanks for having me. Now, before we get to your fight, uh, obviously, you I'm sure you watched this past weekend's fight between Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on Weidman knocking out Silva? And, and did you think Silva was disrespecting him with his showboating and stuff?
1: No, no, I don't think he was uh, disrespecting him. He, that That's his, his style, Anderson Silva's style, and that's what it does. Like. But this time, I did it a little too much, I think, and... Uh, And just
4: myself. And and what do you think about him? Him saying he doesn't want a rematch. Do you believe that? Uh, no, not really. I can't say I believe that. (laughs) You, you know, last fight you dropped out of your last fight due to an accidental training injury, and and not so much yourself, but the Swedish Commission um, took some heat because of how your eye had healed up just days before the fight. Um, do you feel any of that negative feedback still coming at you because you got a title shot, even though you didn't fight in that last fight?
1: No, no, I don't. I don't feel bad at all. It was it was, uh, it was uh, one of the worst things I've been through uh, when it happened. But now it's uh, you know I left it behind me, and uh, you know I have to you know it healed up very good, and uh, you know I have to respect them the
4: Now, how was the layoff? I mean, and how hard was it getting back to the gym to prepare for someone like Jones while worrying about getting injured?
1: No, not at all. Not at all. I'm super motivated. You know, this is the fight I've been like wanted for so long and, you know, been training for so long. So if they uh, you
4: know, I'm just living the dream right now. For sure, and and you you months before the announcement that you were fighting Jones, you had been calling him out. You had been tweeting him, saying, "You know what? I want to fight Jones." Um, and then it sort of just came out of nowhere that the UFC announced that you were going to be fighting him. How long? How long did you know that you were going to be fighting Jones before the UFC announced it?
1: Uh, no, not at all. I, I found out uh, when it got official.
4: Okay. Now the obvious question that comes that I want to bring to the table um that others obviously have not been able to do is is beat John Jones and and obviously what you bring to the table is is a reach that he hasn't seen before. Um that's the obvious question is is how are you going to deal with him and and what do you think that you bring to the table that no one else does?
1: Uh I would have a really good tactic game plan for this fight and uh... You know, I'll, you know, I'm going to train hard, harder than ever, and I'm training harder than ever. So, you know, it's uh, let's we'll see what happens. You know, he's a great fighter. He's one of the best fighters in the world right now, and he's uh, he's a complete fighter. So, you know, you have to be adaptable and, and yeah. I spoke and, with uh,
4: patience. Yeah, I spoke with uh, Paul Deval from Kimura. Se this past weekend. He's he's in Vancouver here with us right now. And and he told me that one of his friends back there in Sweden, who's trained with you, said that you're the hardest hitter in the sport that he's ever been hit by. Um, do you think John Jones has been punished with punches the way you can punish him?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. Let's see what happens.
4: <laughs> <laughs> obviously, obviously. Now it's hard to believe that that you'll be the first challenger. Sort of of the same generation as John Jones. Um, everyone else has been, you know, either a veteran of the sport or a former light heavyweight title holder. Um, how does this make you feel? Oh, I I'm, I'm, I'm feel great. I feel great. I, everything, you know, comes up to who's work, working
1: who's working the hardest and then what is the most. And, uh, you know, I'm super motivated and, you know, I'm ready to go whenever. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah. You know, I'm just uh,
4: looking forward to the fight. Sort of a follow-up to that. Why do you think that you are the first of this generation that is that has been able to follow up and, and and fight John Jones? That no one else from this sort of era has been able to get to that next level to take him on. Uh
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, the sports involved and and, you know, in the sport needs to involve too. So developed you know, like uh, it's, uh, it's a developing sport, you know. New things come, and you know, like you have to so on. So, and the competition is very tough. It's a very tough division, and uh, you know, it's now, now I have this fight right, just around the corner, and I'm very happy that I had the chance.
4: Obviously, another first would happen if you if you were able to beat Jones, you would become the first ever European UFC champion. Um, does this cross your mind at all? And how cool would that be?
1: That would be that would be, you know, that, that would be that would be massive. In Sweden and youth for me it would be I can't even explain the words. You know, it's uh yeah, it's uh you know, just living a dream, you know, it's it's a dream fight, so
4: for sure. Many would think, you know, that Toronto, Canada is is neutral ground for you yourself and John Jones. But uh Jones has fought twice before in Toronto. Um which sort of means that it's home field advantage for him. Does this take anything away from you?
1: No, not at all. Not at
4: all. You don't. You don't care that. Obviously, you're going in there to fight. The. You, do you tune the fans out when when you get in the cage? Like, do you do you notice the the fan noise or, or anything like that, or do you just hear your coaches?
1: No, I hear the fans and everything. But you know, one day they, they close the the cage, and you know, they're gonna say, you know, I just focus, and I see my opponent, and I, I heard the coaches stress
4: about it. For sure. Now, I was in Seattle for your last fight against Shogun who a Amazing performance, but um, many were, were questioning the fact that you didn't finish Shogun. And, and when asked that question, you said, you know, Shogun is very... You, you, you can never count him out. So, you knew you were winning the fight. Why go in there and risk the fact that you could get finished? Um, can fans expect a new... And improved Gustafson and will you be looking to finish John Jones? Because the obvious answer is yes, you will. But um, we didn't see that in your last fight.
1: Well, you know every fight is a new fight. You know it's uh, they are not our similar fight. You know it's it's always uh, you know these things. Uh, you know, and uh, so, you know Shogun is uh, you know is a heavy hitter. He it's hard. And, that's why I chose to do what I did, and uh, you know this is a new fight, and you know I I, give. I want I want I, want, I, want, I want. that's the most important thing for me. But Then what happens
4: happens in the fight? For sure. What do you see, um, John? Where do you see John Jones's weakness? What do you think you can do that that, that can finish John Jones?
1: You know I don't want to give away too much, but <laughs> uh, you know one of the weaknesses, and uh, you know it's. Uh, we're all, we're all human beings now. Yes, uh, weaknesses just like I
4: have, so. And we saw that last weekend with Anderson Silva, correct? Yeah. Do you think, uh, uh, this is sort of a question that's off topic here. Uh, Anderson Silva lost to Chris Weidman. You've got this fight coming up against John Jones who who's been on a run and a tear. Um, Jose Aldo has a fight coming up against the Korean Zombie, who he's also been on a tear. George St. Pierre, another title holder, taking on Johnny Hendricks. Could this sort of be a changing of the ship kind of time? Yeah. That's what I think it is. Good answer. (laughs) Straight up, (laughs) eh? (laughs) Now, finally, before we let you go, you're in Toronto, Canada right now, doing a bit of prep for UFC 165 what's the one thing about Canada that you've noticed that uh will stick out in your mind when you return to Sweden
1: you know how uh, nice people are here and uh, you know really great fans. great fun uh, a big fan and uh, and also very good food, Pretty good food.
4: <laughs> what's your favorite food you've had thus far
1: uh no I just you know I had uh, I had a steak and uh, I had a, you know some everything.
4: Hey, I noticed a yeah. pic. I-, I noticed a picture yesterday of yourself and uh, Showdown Joe on a on a ride at Canada's Wonderland. How was that? Oh, that was awesome. That was really cool. <laughs> Perfect. He is Alexander Gustafsson. He's taking on John Jones for the light heavyweight championship. Alex, good luck in September. You your name,
2: they
4: on nicely done, nicely done Thank you, thank you very much
3: um, Again, we don't have much to say Because we got to keep this show moving Yeah, this one's going to be a long one I think it's going to be a doozy Yep, Marty Sater He is the writer, producer, director And probably the grip boy uh, For a, a nice little film That uh, he's looking to put out there He's raising money at Kickstarter And anyway, we'll hear all about it It's Monday nights at 7, Marty Sater, coming up he is the director writer producer and star of a film project called monday night at seven he'll also star edward james almost and anderson the spider silva Frank Shamrock is also getting a producer credit. This film is currently raising funds at Kickstarter. Here to talk about it is the man with many hats, Mr. Marty Sater. Marty, thanks for doing this, bro. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Thanks for having me.
3: So first off, before we even talk about your movie, and I mentioned that Anderson Silva plays a role in it, um, did you happen to watch UFC 162?
2: Yeah, actually, um, I was at the event. Uh, we nice. were. Uh, I was there with uh, Laura Hughes, uh, who is the co-writer and one of the producers, and Edward James Almos, who is also um, playing a part in the movies, playing my dad, and he's also one of the other producers. And, and we were there, and we were invited guests of USC, um, and um, Dana Wyden, um, Lorenzo Petita. And and first off, we had like these amazing seats, and I've been to a UFC before, but I actually got to go and uh, experience the whole, um, the the whole you know quote unquote VIP treatment. I guess yeah, uh, that was amazing to see Mike Tyson, see see Roy Jones Jr. and John Jones. Everybody was around, and just being amongst them, it was great. Um, and of course, we were there to support Anderson, um, and uh, yeah, it, uh, we saw the fight, and uh, you know it. <laughs> It, it, it kind of goes without saying that, first of all, I, I personally um, uh, was heartbroken. Um, you know, um, I'm sure many fans were. Um, but you know, Anderson, Anderson is a super athlete, man. That I, I have honestly, I have absolutely no doubt he's going to come back. But what's more important was it was the ultimate evidence that you need to to prove that anything can happen. In MMA, and people you hear people say that, but man, that just puts an exclamation mark on it. Anything can happen <laughs> in MMA, and that's that's um, that's why we love this sport so much.
3: Did you happen to get a chance to talk to Adam Anderson after? Like, what was his thoughts? If if you did, did, you get a chance to to shoot the shit with him.
2: Oh man! I wish you had asked me that. Um, well, uh, to be honest, um, I yeah, of course. You know, I I was I was like three rows away from when it happened, and and you know through the whole experience, I always get nervous when Anderson fights. You know, I've, I've known Anderson for some time now, and and um, and every time he fights, you know, my heart is pounding, uh, my hands were dry, I was holding Laura's hand, and both our hands were shaking. My mouth was dry. It, I mean, I, I, I might as well have been uh, fighting myself. I mean, and then when it, when it was all said and done, um, it's interesting because then you see all the rats, you know, leave the ship, you yeah. know. And when the rats leave the ship, you know, then you see the few that's left over. And, and, and you know, I walked over and, you know, he, he, it was Actually, it's kind of surprising they did a quick interview with him right as he came out. Uh, I, I've never seen that before. I guess that's what happens. Uh, I've just never seen coverage on it, and he came out and and then he walked toward to me, and and then and Edward, Eddie almost he walked out and they hugged, and then he saw me, and then he hugged me, and uh, he kind of like held on tight, you know, and he kind of squeezed a little bit, and and I, and I just yeah, I got really choked up, and I started I, I was crying, and 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 it was just really, um, I, feel, I mean I kind of feel it right now in my heart, you know, it's just like. You know, when you see your family member, a brother or something like that, you know, like you know, that's just how I feel about him. And uh, it was heartbreaking. At the same time, you know, it was, it was it was so amazing. He was the one who was making me feel all right. You know, like he held my faith and he's like, it's okay, it's alright, don't worry, you know. And he's, you know, he had that cute accent, you know, uh, and and he's just like, don't worry, my friend, it's alright, no problem, it's okay, and and it just he was so gracious and awesome, and and um. You know, he just—you know, man—we all make mistakes. He made a mistake, uh, and he paid for it. And I think we should just be grateful that he's been so amazing for so many years. You know, I—I I used to—I used to watch Michael Jordan when Michael Jordan was playing. I've never been a basketball fan. I've never—I don't watch basketball. But when Michael Jordan was playing, I used to just watch it because only when he was playing because. I knew, it's obvious, everyone knew that there is excellence in your presence right now. There is excellence happening. So just sit back, watch, because one day you're going to miss this. One day, it doesn't matter how much shit-talking you've done, you are going to miss this, and you are going to regret it because you just didn't know better. You were too young, too stupid, and you were too much of a keyboard warrior to, to realize what the hell you're saying, and you just missed the amazement that was happening in front of you because you were too busy trying to tweet some dumbass tweet. The man is amazing, and we have to appreciate while we got him because guys like this just come very, very, very seldom. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of him. I think he's going to come back. I think he's going to be amazing again, and that's all there is to it.
4: You're very, very close to him, as you said. Um, a video came out prior to his fight where he he obviously he was joking around he said his perfect fight would be if chris weidman won chris weidman ufc champ he said he was tired he said he was all this other stuff and then after the fight he he said he doesn't want to fight for the title you having this inside scoop you've you've said that he's going to come back better but seeing him after the fight and even before the fight did you sense that he was actually tired of all the spotlight and that kind of stuff
2: I I think it happens to everybody, you know. I think uh, I think when you start, you know, I think at some point during everyone's career, and I don't have I don't have an insight into what he's thinking. I think right now we just need to leave him alone. I think we need to let the man. How many times have you heard fighters retire after a fight? It's an emotional thing, man. Yeah. You know, I've been doing this training with fighters. I've been living like a fighter for. Uh, four years. I want to say that I don't. I don't mean that like in a Hollywood style. Like I, I went and took some three-week boot camp because I was playing soldier in some war movie. I've been living like a fighter, training like a fighter, coming home with bruises, bruises and cuts like a fighter for four mm-hmm. years now. And when you live a life like that, you start taking on a different perspective. You know, yeah. pe- a lot of people who have opinions about stuff like this. You know, it's like anything, you know, opinions are like, you know, like a-holes. Everyone's got them, and almost all of them stink. You know, the thing is, at the end of the day, you know, you're not in anybody else's shoes. All you know is what you know, and what you don't know is a lot. So what we got to do is we just got to let the man be, let him deal with his emotional journey in life he's been a champion for seven years yeah unbelievable what What else do you want from the guy
3: yeah yeah um, he's actually talking, and we just heard this, uh, that already Anderson Silva is talking, and that he does want a rematch uh, on Super Bowl weekend. So um, we'll see what comes out of that. But instead of talking about UFC 162 here, I want to actually switch gears here and talk about the film. Um, because I went yeah. to your site and watched the video about how you know you're going about it. or And, and what I found really fascinating was... Um, well, first, before we can get that, just explain sort of the concept of the film to, to our listeners, and then I'm going to ask you some questions about some of the realism about, about it.
2: Well, you know, let me just, uh, first of all, um, I, I want to thank um, Kickstarter for, for starting um, an incredible platform for artists such as myself uh, and my team to be able to make movies that otherwise would not get made. Um, you know, this is a movie that uh, I can say this without a question in my in my mind, and we know this because we've experienced this. Hollywood is absolutely terrified to make a movie like this, and I'm not trying to exaggerate and dramatize. What I mean by that is they will never make a movie like that because there's so many things in it that's too risky for them that they cannot ever look at it and touch it. But I tell you, once this movie is made, they are going to attack it like wolves attacking a, a weakened uh, animal. The thing is that um, we are we're blessed to be able to start a campaign and talk to our audience about the kind of projects we want to do. And Kickstarter allows us that. Kickstarter is a, is a website for those who don't know. It's at kickstarter.com. It's a place where you go and you can look at a project and you can look at a video and what it is is that basically you can pledge money, and what it is is that you can give a dollar, $5, $10, up to $10,000 and help a project that you really believe in, okay? And what you get in turn is that you get these rewards. Now, every project has different rewards. In our case, we have incredible rewards. We have, we have autographs and memorabilia from Anderson Silva, from Frank Shamla, from, from Edward James Almas, and other cast members that we are going to have. Uh, depending on how much money you give, you you can choose different set of rewards. In fact, within the numbers, and we have 2.8 million dollars worth of rewards. I actually have some amazing uh, t-shirts right now, literally sitting in front of me. Uh, the uh, the silver nose t-shirts that he just gave me. I just saw him today, and he autographed. He just gave me a few of them, and you know these are some really cool stuff that you just cannot go to a store and get. So we have lots of stuff like that and also, you know, private training lessons and, you know, all kinds of stuff, VIP um, screenings and online screenings, autograph scripts, list goes on. But now, that's all good and dandy and you're going to go to the website and you are going to see this and people are going to, you're going to be very excited when you see it. But I want you to think about something else. Mm-hmm. I want you to think about this. Imagine if you had helped make Rocky. Yeah. Imagine if you had helped make Raging
3: Bull, like yeah. that
2: level of movie.
3: There we go. Okay?
2: Imagine, imagine that you, you could just say that right now and feel that right now. That's an incredible thing. And Kickstarter allows, permits us to have that. Uh-huh. And to me, that, that's something incredible. And that's really the first thing. So you can go to Kickstarter.com, search for Monday nights at 7 or M&A 7, the number 7. Or you can just put in MMA. You can go to mna seven dot com. There's a red button. Click that. Either way, you'll find it. We are everywhere.
3: Yep, yeah, the film is Monday night at seven. Um, and this video I was watching uh, on your. Uh, it was it was crazy. That it was you were getting nose surgery, right? And I guess because I would mean, just let pe- let our listeners know why you were getting the nose surgery, but you actually decided to film that as part of your part of your movie.
2: Michael yeah. Jackson is a huge hero of mine. Yeah, and I'm just no, I'm kidding. Um, no, I, <laughs> I, I, um, um, I had a deviated septum. Right. Um, uh, when I was uh, 13 years old, uh, this kid uh, sucker punched me in, in, in school, Jeez. and um, and it broke my nose really bad. Anyway, so um, uh, I've had this deviated septum for, for most of my life. And when I was training, it never really bothered me before. But, you know, uh, MMA training is very taxing. And especially when you have the mouth guard in and you're, you're sparring, the breathing gets very hard. So I needed to get it fixed. And we needed to get it done earlier on because I needed my nose to – because every time they fix something about your nose, your nose gets a little bit weaker. So, then um, there's always more danger, just that, that small percentage, more percentage available for your nose to get broken again. And uh, so when I um, needed to get it fixed, and I thought, hey, listen, guys, in the movie, there's a scene where my character um, gets sucker punched from behind. And um, and uh, he gets his nose broken, and, and I thought, hey, and, he, and then he gets it fixed. So I said, hey, why don't we film this? Why don't we just put this on film? I mean, um, I'm doing this other thing that we're, you, know, you and I are going to talk about soon. But um, uh, since, since I'm doing this other thing, why don't we do this thing? And, and so what happened was uh, Eddie, Eddie Almos, Edward James Almos, he uh, put up the money out of his own pocket uh, so we can shoot it early on. We went and did the surgery. And uh, you can see the footage and the drama behind it on our video.
3: Yeah, man, it's it's pretty cool, and it's such a great idea. I mean, might as well just put that one in the bag. You know what I mean? As a scene, because it brings a certain realism uh, to to your film. And another thing that brings a certain realism to your film is that you were talking about training uh, for this for this movie because you're, you're going to be fighting. Um, now, yeah. from what I understand, it's completely unscripted. You've been training from scratch. At uh, was it it's still Jackson's MMA? I know you've been been doing some sparring with Leota Machida. Um, what first off, what has the training been like, and you know, I mean, I think you're pretty crazy for doing this. Is it true that this is win or lose? It's still going to be filmed and it's going to be in the movie.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, uh, I um, uh, I, train, I I trained uh, with Greg Jackson's camp um, for a very short period of time. Oh, okay. Uh, that was really that was really early on when I started the process. And, okay. Uh, the coach uh, that I worked with, his name is uh, Chris Luttrell. Um, so I worked with him. In fact, in the video when I'm doing some sit-up stand-ups, the guy who's holding my legs, that's Chris Luttrell, uh, awesome, amazing coach. Uh, So he was the one who was helping me out there. At the time, man, man, I didn't know anything. I just started. I didn't even know how to throw a punch. Uh, But I've always been kind of like, you know, um, uh, I don't know how to say it, in touch with my body. I'm not a clumsy guy. Uh, I've, been, I've been relatively athletic. So when, um, uh, when I started um, that, I knew that there was something in me that I, I could get. I just knew that I had to work hard. Um, but the experience, that I, the, the big lesson that I learned up in Chris Luttrell, I mean, Greg Jackson's um, uh, train camp, was that I, I started telling people what I was doing. And funny enough, the, uh, the guys who were doing the film Warrior, one of the leads and a couple other guys from that movie that were there, at the same time, and they were, like, training, and they were doing their boot camp, and, and, um, and you know, I was telling, I told the guys, on oh, what I'm doing and everything, and everybody just looked at me like I'm out of my mind, and I'm just, and I realized, you know what, I got to stop telling people, because I was, like, this excited, passionate, driven guy thinking that, hey, if I tell people, they're going to, like, want to help me and say, oh, what a great idea, you know, but I think, oh, my God, was, oh, stupid actor wants to do what? he's going to get knocked at, you know, the rest. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I said, you know what? I need to stop telling people. So when I came back to Los Angeles, I went to my grappling coach. Uh, his name is Goko and He's a, he's a legend in his, what he does. And, and he's in North Hollywood. And I started training with him. I've been training with him for four years and I started training kickboxing with like, what is it? Like 12, 16 time world champion, um, uh, like Danny the jet. So, one, I started training, and I just started going, and, and these guys didn't question anything because I didn't tell them, and the reason I didn't tell them is because I needed to just, I needed people to look at me just as me, and not think, oh, here's this actor, and just kind of prejudge me, and just, just, just be one of the guys, So then I, and I knew that once I get to, I knew, I knew when, they were going to tell me when I was ready without them knowing that they're telling me I'm ready. And I knew that was going to come when they were just going to look at me and I could see it in their eyes. So when it got started to get to a point where I started to constantly get questions from, uh, you know, like uh, MMA fighters, professional fighters that you know, and some are in UFC, would sit down and watch me train and come to me and say, B, I I cannot wa- wait to, to see you fight. That's when I knew, okay, you know what? I got something here and I can do this, you know? No, I'm not going to go in there and fight Leo be able but I can fight someone who's been training as long as I have and put on a good show.
3: Yeah, um, so there's no... You're, you're going to do this fight in the film. It's obviously part of the storyline, but there's no, you know, there's no predetermined winner, correct? Like, it's whatever no happens, happens.
2: No, there's none of that. Whatever happens, happens, man. You know, I went, and I'm not going to say who, to somebody's gym, famous guy... And I told them what I was doing. That's when I was um, continuously making the same dumbass mistake. And I was telling people what I'm doing. And then this guy immediately told me, hey, listen, you know what you should do? You should do what they, what they used to do in Pride or in Japan, um, where they would determine the outcome. You still fight, but you determine the outcome. And The guy, somebody knows they're going to lose and the other guy... And I'm like, that's not the reason I'm doing this. You know, the point of the movie is that, that you know I left the gym right away, man. I, I did. I never went back there again. And I, I I needed people to get what I'm doing. You know, it's very important. It doesn't matter what you do in life. You need people on your side who get what you're doing, and they're not there for different reasons. And and you know, when I started training, and I and I was like, you know, getting ready for this, I knew that. What's important is the story.
3: Yeah. Everything
2: else does not matter. Everything else is just a shtick if the story is not there. I'm not making an MMA movie here. I, 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 I correct everyone who says, oh, you're making an MMA film. I'm not making an MMA film. Yeah. And if someone's heard me before, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna find me repetitive right now because I tell people this all the time. If I was an architect in the movie, this would not be an architect movie. <laughs> if I was a painter in the movie, this would not be a painter movie. Yeah, I just happen to be a guy who wanted to have a fight. He's a single dad. He's living with his demons from the past. He's trying to stay in the present and find a way to make good decisions for his future, just so he can be a good example for his daughter. It's very simple. It's what people deal with on a daily basis. And the fact that he actually steps into the cage and he realizes that if he does not live his life, his daughter is going to learn the wrong examples. For that very reason, he learned that, okay, I have to go after what I've always wanted to go after. I might not become Anderson Silva. I might not become a world champion. But I am going to be happy. I am going to be living my life. And that happiness, that positivity, and that me setting a great example for my daughter can only be awesome. That's the whole purpose. To the moment my character steps into the cage, he wins.
3: Yeah. Now whether
2: or not I get knocked out, it's irrelevant. But I tell you this: I'm not going to get knocked out.
3: <laughs> Good to hear, man. Good to hear. I mean, how did you approach Edward James almost for the film? He's one of my favorites, by the way. Battlestar Galactica. I was a huge fan.
2: Awesome. He's so say we all, my friend. Yeah. So say we all. Now, you know he's awesome. He's um, he is probably the most humble. The most um, generous and the most um, giving um, person I've ever met, we've ever met in Hollywood. Um, my uh, producing partner and my wife, who wrote the script with me,
3: yep.
2: uh, Laura. She, Laura, she, she, you know, she, she will tell you the same thing. I and mean, then this guy is unbelievable. You know, you go to a film festival, he runs, and he's the guy who's passing out the clipboards to people to fill in. And I'm Eddie. What are you doing? You, you, Eddie Alms. Go sit down. Somebody else will do it. You know. And, and in fact, no, he's such a supporter and believer of the arts. He believes that art is the soul of our culture, and in order to so make that survive, you have to protect it. So he's the protector of that. So I, if, if I if I just sat down here and talked to you like Eddie almost we're going to have a four-hour show. So <laughs> he's unbelievable, and the reason we got him is because. Uh, you know, Laura was the one who got in contact with his office. And then, believe it or not, it's almost a Hollywood story. Uh, we were at a movie theater. This is after Laura had made a contact, like, one of the secretaries.
3: Yep. And we were, at, uh,
2: we were at Arclight Theaters in Hollywood, getting, you know, sitting and waiting at the coffee area for our movie to start. And I look over, and he's sitting outside at a table with a group of people. Mm-hmm. And then they come in to go see their movie, and he steps off to go to the bathroom. And I was panicking. I was like a child who's lost and cannot find his parent, you know. And I'm like, uh, what do I do? Uh, what do I do? Uh, what do I do? And he's <laughs> like, well, you have to say something. You have to say something. So I, I ran over. I ran over, and, I, and, I, and, I, and his group was kind of like standing up to the side, you know, by the steps where they go downstairs. And I was standing between them and the bathroom so when he comes out, I can intercept him. So meanwhile... I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Finally, he comes out, and I just gently nudged his arm. He turned around. He was kind of speed walking. I said, Mr. Almost. And then, I swear to God, I can't remember what I said. I must have said something like, blah, 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 blah. I have a script. Blah, 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 blah. My wife contacted your office. Blah, 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 blah. I said something. And at that point, Laura walked up, and and she explained who the person was. And he said, listen, I got to go. Our movie's about to start. Go ahead, send the script to me, and we'll see. A week later... They called us, and we had a meeting.
3: Wow, crazy! That's that's a that's a pretty crazy. fucked up story, man. Man, that's awesome. Um, Anderson yeah. Silva, he's in the movie as well. Obviously, um, how did that all? How did that relationship come into being, and, and why did you pick him?
2: Um, you know, it's, this is very important. I I wrote this part
3: especially for Anderson.
2: I was an Anderson fan before I I got to meet him. Um, uh, and uh, I was a, ext- I was very much an admirer of his style and how he fights, and and um, so I, I what happened was I'm a fa- I'm friends with Satoshi Ishii. He won the gold medal in the Olympics for heavyweight judo. Very, he's one of my closest friends, and he was looking for a manager, and so I called Ed Suarez and I asked him. Uh, if she is interested because satoshi's English is not great. So I, I happen to speak Ishi. So uh I don't speak Japanese but I can speak Ishii. So I know how to talk to him and understand his English <laughs> is by far better now. But uh I called Ed and Ed said, Hey listen um uh, what's up? I said hey I got Satoshi. Now they already knew Satoshi. When Anderson remember when Anderson got fought Shell Sonnen in the first fight? Yeah. And there was all that talk about his rib hurt. Yeah. That was that was thanks to Satoshi. Ishii. Oh. Okay. Satoshi, yeah, Satoshi is the one who hurt his ribs in the in in, in sparring. Hmm. And I'm going to tell you a story that not a lot of people know. Okay, this is this is absolutely the truth. Okay, and there's a lot of people who talk a lot of stuff and they don't have any knowledge. Yeah. Anderson Silva, when he got hurt, this is what happened. They kicked everybody out of the gym, okay? They closed all the doors. And for, I I can't remember the number now. I don't know if it was like uh, six weeks or three weeks or whatever it was. I can't remember. All he did was work on setting up the triangle. That's all he worked on. Mm Mm-hmm. And you see it in his documentary also when he turns around to Noguera and he says, Nogueira says, oh, you're going you're gonna to knock him out. And he says, no, no, I'm going to submit him. Yeah. Okay? Now, that's oh, so all he worked on. And the reason people say, oh, he got taken down so easily, if you just watch the fight and if you know even the tiniest bit of about, about if, you, if you know a little bit about uh, training or uh, if he's actually ever trained, you will see that he's actually never trying to, stop the takedowns because he knew that he can't one his ribs didn't allow it and two he knew that he had to preserve his energy so he he got taken down he didn't really put up a fight uh, to stop because stopping a takedown you have to train to understand this stopping a takedown is hard man stopping a takedown takes it out of you as much as the guy who's trying to take you down you know it, 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 it takes it out of your body. So if you're not prepared, if you're not 100%, it's going to affect you. Anyway, so that's what happened. So we got Satoshi in there into Black House. And then, you know, I, I sort became friends with Ed Soros. And, you know, I, I, at the time, we were you know, writing the script, we writing the script, we writing the, the script, and that part wasn't there. And through the evolution, and I never write a part in advance for someone just, oh, then, wouldn't it be cool to have so-and-so in it Because to me, story is everything. And it's the heart of, of the whole thing. And everything else just falls apart if you don't have that. So I take that very, very seriously. And and, and then it just so happened through the evolution, we had a major breakthrough. Because it's a love story. This is a beautiful love story. My character meets a girl, you know, boy meets a girl, and they fall in love, but there are lots of complications. Uh-huh. And not cliche stuff either. It's like, you know, really cool stuff. And, you know, but the thing is that. Um, we were writing it, and we had a big breakthrough because I was giving a script out, and people would say oh, it was really cool, and nobody ever said, "Oh my God, I was so moved. And I was crying, this and that. And I was like, that can't be, man. This is a love story. gotta I gotta I got, I got, I got move people. And we had a breakthrough. And through that breakthrough, a new character was born, and that's when Anderson's part was was alive. And then through my friendship with Ed, I got to meet him, He came to Disney. And we clicked right away. We are very comfortable around each other. You know, some people just become fast friends, and it was kind of like that.
3: Huh? That's awesome. And so, you know, through the evolution of you know writing the story, all of a sudden, you know, you have a role for him, and um, that, that's pretty. It's it's pretty good. Is it a, a like a large speaking role, or is it like a big starring role, or is it just sort of a co-starring?
2: Yeah. This is he plays my. He plays one of my closest friends in the movie. He plays okay. my confidant. Okay. He's the guy that my character says things to. I'm sure, Trevor, you have a friend that you talk to about some stuff that you don't talk to other people about.
3: No, absolutely.
2: And he—he's he's that guy to me. Ah. he's that guy in the movie. And and he does not. There's a sparring session that just him and I. We're training together and we spar together. And we're gonna we're gonna spar for real. I, I want to beg him and I want to give him some money to take it easy on me. But, but we are going to spar for real. Uh, we don't want any of that stuff to be fake. But he, mostly, you are going to see Anderson still by election. Honestly, you've never seen him before. And he has the most important thing that anybody can have that you cannot teach or you cannot direct, you cannot um, learn, and that is just presence and charisma in front of camera. Okay. And you just can't have that. You cannot give that to somebody. It doesn't matter how you shoot them, how you write them, you know, uh, glamour them. Whatever you do, you just cannot create that. And I'm sure you can think of at least 10 actors right now in Hollywood that you can list off who have that, you know, lack of ability. But Anderson naturally has that. One of the reasons that he's a big star is because of that element of him. Maybe not everybody can identify it and put their finger on it specifically, but he has that. And, um, and um, as far as everything else is shift, he does that in the cage anyway, which is the reason I really wanted him, was because he, I don't think of him as a fighter. I think of him as an artist. Yeah. You know, only, because other, other guys are fighters. You can tell. They come in and pretty much do the similar thing that other people do. Their styles vary. But it's pretty much the same. Anderson is the only one who creates in the moment. Even if you don't like the art that he just showed you. You just saw him on Saturday. You don't like it. A lot of people are complaining. But that's like going to a gallery and the guy has a a showing of paintings. And then you're like, yeah, I don't like that one. It's not going to match my couch. <laughs> you know? You can't, you can't take one or the other, man. If you like the guy, you love the guy, you appreciate the guy, the guy is an artist. Sometimes you don't like the art he gives you, sometimes you're not. Yeah. But that doesn't take you away from the fact that he's an artist, and that is exactly the reason I wanted him. And as an artist, we connect. I'm an artist, which is why I'm doing all that quote-unquote crazy stuff, because I'm trying to set new standards. I'm trying to do something that everybody else will point fingers to and say, how do I do that? And I got no problem saying that. I don't set out to do that when I'm actually working. I am working. I don't think like that all the time. But that is one of my goals. I want to make something. I aspire to make something outstanding. And if you're not making something, if you're not aspiring to make something outstanding, and you're not aspiring to achieve an outstanding level in whatever field you're in, well, then you, you're, you're shortchanging yourself in life.
3: Well said, Marty. Um, you're the man behind Monday Night at 7. Um, you're looking to raise money on Kickstarter. And uh, how much money are you looking to raise? And do you have other sort of financial backers just in case Kickstarter doesn't pan out? Like, do you have a plan B?
2: We have plan B, um, of course. But, you know, i really rather um, do it this way because uh-huh. because I think the experience that we are going to have with everyone who pledges, we're all going to be a team. And I think... You know, I really believe in uh, people coming together. I really believe in that the arts unite people in a positive way. And I think that's a really great thing. I think we can all come together, and the energy that comes out of that can be amazing. And that bleeds over into the movie. You know, I believe in the movie gods. I believe in energy, and I believe in that these things benefit from stuff like this. So, yeah, we have Plan B and all of that, of course, but you know, uh, if we can make the movie this way. And the reason we're asking for only half a million dollars, because you know what? You can make a great movie for half a million dollars if you have the right connections and the people are helping you because you got a great project. When you got a great project, people want to help you. We have so many. We have uh, an amazing company, our partners, one of our partners, Sonic Pool Post-Production in Hollywood. They are going to be doing everything that comes in post for us, you know? So it's not like it's, only five five hundred thousand dollars is gonna be in front of the camera. I and mean, these movies get made for thirty million dollars and you know someone's walking around with twenty eight million dollars in the pocket.
3: <laughs> yeah, no kidding, eh? Yeah. Right? For, yeah. I mean yeah. come on,
2: man. Thirty million dollars and that's what you made? Thirty yeah. million I know I know there's an inflation and things are wrong and gold is going up and down and silver is crazy, but come on, thirty, <laughs> $30 million dollars is still a lot of money.
3: Oh if, man!
2: If, if, if your intentions are true, if you're true, if you're really trying to make something special, I tell you what, you don't need that kind of money. If you if your first intention is to make something great, then your first thought is not about money. Your first thought is about what do I need to make this? Of course, if I have two point one million dollars, which is the, another budget that we drew up, we can have these better. Like, you know, some of the actors that we have access to through Eddie almost that, you know, we have to still pay. Of course, it ups the value. We, I can have that song that I really, really want, you know, that just it makes a world of difference, you yeah. know? Of course, you know, with $2.1 million, man, I can make a tits. For half a million dollars, I can make a movie that people will not be able to, I, they can't wait to go home and say, "You, you I just can't, you're not going to believe what I just saw.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, people, now's your chance. Uh, you can go to M. N, as in Nancy, A7, number seven, dot com, and uh, definitely donate to this project, Monday Nights at 7. You can hear the passion in Marty Sater's voice. Uh, Marty, uh, one last uh, pitch before we uh, let you go. Where can, first off, where can people get a hold of you in the social media universe?
2: Well, um, you know, our movie um, Twitter is at GoMNA7, that's at G-O-M-N-A for Nancy, A for Apple, and the number 7. Um, my Twitter is at Marty Sater, S-A-D for David, E-R. Um, and, uh, you know, like you said, MNA7.com, there's a big red button you cannot miss. You click that, it takes you to our Kickstarter page. And and just look at the... Vid. Listen, that's all I, this is what I ask people, man. Go there and look at the video. Mm-hmm. I know everyone's got a really short attention span these days. On the videos, any longer than 30 seconds... We just can't handle it. Apparently,
3: yeah. But
2: I'm asking you, go in there and watch it. Watch the, just click the video and watch it, okay? And after you watched it, if you don't believe in this project, then you know, no, no, nothing, nothing's happened. Nothing bad has happened. But I promise you, after you watch the video, you're going to want to be a part of this because because if, you, if you're if you complaining, if you just went to the theater and paid 50 bucks think you bought your tickets for you and your girlfriend and the popcorns and the coke and everything, and you sat down and just watched something in 3D, and that heavy 3D glasses left the imprint on your nose you couldn't get rid of for a week, and you watched a movie that you wish you hadn't seen because you just wasted two hours of your life, and you're complaining because of the crap that's just being remade over and over again, this is your opportunity to help something get made in a whole different way, and on top of that, something that's never been done before.
3: Yeah, when this movie is done, it's the type of film you can uh, guys can take their ladies to. Because although it's a love story, there's there's some. I'm assuming there's going to be some pretty kick-ass fight scenes in it.
2: Well, you know, there's, <laughs> the, 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 there's one, there's one, there's a little street thing that happens, and then there's a, the, of course, the fight at the end. And um, you know, um, I promised the audience this, okay. Um, am I going to go fight in there for real? Yes, I am going to go in there fight for real. Are there, uh, is the outcome uh, determined in advance? No, it's not. Am I picking a real fighter against me? Yes, I am. Am I going to win? You betcha. And I'm going to go in there and I'm going to fight my heart out. Because, you know, there's a difference between my fight and any other fighter's fight. Because the other fighters have a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and the list goes on and then when they lose some more they get dropped down to a lower class division to another company and they get to fight some more i got one chance one take one chance and i'm going to go in there and i'm going to put it all on the line
3: marty we really appreciate you doing this it's monday nights at seven he's raising money for it Again, check out MNA7.com. Marty, thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. It was an absolute
2: pleasure. Thank you, guys.
4: All right, so uh, that was an all round pretty good show. Yeah, make sure you check out kickstarter.com um, and search Monday nights at 7 or go to MNA7.com. Um, and Marty watch the said little... it a few times. There's a big red button on the screen. Yeah, watch the little video too because it gives you a little bit of an
3: insight of what they're doing. Very cool, and uh, great show. We will not be talking
4: about Ann Murray this week, unfortunately, and next week we're off. Yep, so we will see you guys in two weeks. Um, over the next week, if you haven't already done it, make sure you submit a statue, and you can win yourself two tickets to UFC on Fox 8. That's submitting a
3: statue. Take a picture of it, and you could be going to Seattle. That you can. Two tickets. We'll see you there. To paradise. Bell. boom. Off limits, followed by X rated,
2: oh, oh. racy humor. What are we doing? The birds and the bees, your mama, and curse words. Oh my.
1: We're going to go off the air, I know.
2: Alex, I'll take
1: your mama for 400. <laughs>